Hello, welcome to the DC3 cast, the most enthusiastic and highest quality, highest production value comic book podcast on the planet. Uh, tonight, you've got me, Zach, joined as always by Vince. Huh? Huh? What? Huh? Turn football off. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, Monday, Monday night and all that, you know. And Brian. Thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, Brian's not here tonight. That's okay. You got us two uh, knuckleheads to deal with. Yeah, uh, Brian Brian actually said that he's he wants to quit the show, but he's only doing it because you and I want to do it so badly. Still. He, he did say that. He did say that. So we did give him the night off. Uh-huh. On those grounds. Uh, yes, exactly. Because we, we want him to stay enthusiastic. Uh, so tonight we're going to talk about a few books that are coming out on the uh, September 27th. Is that right? Uh, There's absolutely no way of knowing. Who can say? Who can say? I think that's right, though. Yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're, we are going to start off with a, a bit of an oddball pick. Uh, Batman, the audio adventures, number one, written by, uh, Dennis, Dennis, Dennis McNicholas, Dennis McNicholas and illustrated by Anthony Marquez, uh, with Jay bone inking and Dave Stewart on colors. And yeah, uh, that, that is some wild talent applied to what is a podcast adaptation. So I'm I or, or again something. low effort uh, <laughs> podcast here. Um, I wanted to look this up. It, the The subtitle of this issue is Interlude. I heard the monster sing, which made me wonder if this is new material and not like a direct adaptation of the podcast. Well, that, I, I guess yeah, um, maybe adaptation is not the right tie-in tie-in or or continuation thereof or... maybe yeah yeah i really don't know i'm sure there maybe one of our listeners also listens to the podcast and will correct us um but what are the odds as it stands this is a this is connected to the podcast of the same name um but the reason we picked this is we uh flipped through it and got major batman the animated series vibes uh, and that combined with the creative talent made us think it was worth checking out. And uh, Vince, was it worth checking out? I I think it was. I will say I'm probably not going to be in it for the long haul. Uh, I, I'll admit that right up front. This but isn't a uh, DC Max situation? <laughs> no, it's not. Um, you know, if I'm bored at some point, I may I may go back and check out the rest. I, I might check out the next issue when it hits our box. Um, but that's not because I have any problem with it or any malice. It does what it does very well. It's just if, if OK, let's put it this way. You know me. I've talked about it on the show. You've talked about it on the show enough. We uh never need to read another Bruce Wayne Batman book in for the rest of our lives right and we'll be fine um yeah. 
if you're somebody who loves Batman and you devour everything Batman, I would say this is one of the better Batman things to have come around in a while uh, outside the main title, you know? Um, certainly better than something like Batman Fortress with with apologies to, to Gary Whitta. But, you know, um, I am not clamoring for more Batman. And so while I enjoyed this, and there's nothing wrong with it, I'm probably not going to be in it for the long haul, like I said. But what we read today, I found a, several things to appreciate about it. And actually, <laughs> it's funny. In my notes here, as I was looking at the art, I was like, this art looks a lot like Jay Bone. And that was before I realized he was the inker on this. Mm-hmm. But like, I literally had that in my notes. And I'm like, this is this is a really good Jay Bone impression. Oh, wait, it's there's actually Jay Bone here. <laughs> Um, not only that, but, but upon first glance, we talked about how it's got animated series vibes. And I think that that's absolutely true. I think, you know, the Gordon here is very much the Gordon from the animated series. Definitely hitting those same notes. Like Gotham here is very much out of the, but also, I also think there's a bit of Darwin Cook in here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. like Bruce's cowl is it it's basically the new frontier cowl. His cowl and kind of his build as well is is something about like the squareness of the shoulders and the the kind of roundness to him. You know, he's not he's not uh chubby. He's just uh he's just kind of thick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's very distinct. It, obviously the style's not exactly the same, but but I no, feel like it's I agree with you though. I I also felt that uh that connect, that connection as well. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt that uh there's let's see, one of the one of the, I'm looking at the um alternate covers here. One of the alternate covers has a uh, Catwoman on it, and that Catwoman is that is the Darwin Cook Catwoman, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. just drawn by a different artist. Yeah. And so they're they're they are going for that homage, and also the animated series. I feel like it basically starts out with the um, Harley Quinn origin. And all of that stuff is very much rooted in the animated series. So um, it, now it's not exactly the same as how it happens in the animated series. Mm-hmm. Which. But, oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, but the like the notes and a lot of the visual cues are absolutely there. Um, I wanted to go off, jump off of the Harley Quinn bit. Um because I actually thought that that was kind of the uh, strangest and most out of place part of the issue. Um, because it, it feels completely disconnected from almost everything else that happens in this issue. And uh, of course it, it, you know, you can assume it is, is setting up Harley Quinn for a bigger part in this series later on, but she, she is almost, absent entirely from this issue outside of the opening pages and 
and also setting up a uh, an interesting subplot with Killer Croc. Um, but the lion's share of this issue has to do with these kind of uh, gangs that are uh, stealing, I guess, um, the identity, this gang that's stealing the identity of other gangs. And then this group of, uh, what, what do they call themselves? The Demon's Brood, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are who are trying to find a special a special sword, um, and uh, it's not a like particularly unique premise, but it also felt so disconnected from almost any other Batman story that we've gotten recently, and so kind of um, small potatoes in a way that I I actually really enjoyed that stuff more than I did with the Harley and Killer Croc uh, parts. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree there. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, I guess I, I would read more issues just to maybe see where that stuff goes. Um, it, but I'm not, I'm not so much interested in, in you know, whatever's brewing with Harley again because they're, they're like with Batman. There are just so many Harley stories. Hmm. Um. Yeah, but I, I did I did like this. It was fun. It was breezy. The art was really good, and uh, it it felt just like a just like a really comfy Batman story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really good way to describe it. I think um, it's also pretty funny in some parts. There's like, uh, of course, they do like the classic. Um, Bruce and Gordon uh, investigate the crime scene type thing. And there's some, there's actually some pretty funny lines from Gordon in there. Um, I think. And uh, there, like there's, there's uh, at one point Gordon asks why Bruce always sneaks up on him. And, uh, and he, he says, why do you do that every time? And he says, do you actually want to know, Commissioner? And he says, yeah, I really want to know. And he says, Bruce like has this wordy explanation that it's the principle of the panopticon. You can't know that I'm always watching, but you're never certain I'm not. <laughs> and Gordon says, okay, I hate that. And, uh, and that's pretty funny. And then the stuff with the gang, and they're talking about like, they, they want to get this gimmick going where they're the, the eager beaver gang but they have to wear the tails because the tails are the only way that it reads as beavers. Right. (laughs) They're bulletproof tails specifically. Yes. Yep. Yep. And it actually elicited like an honest chuckle out of me. Um, Yeah. It's, I I love funny. uh, I love funny, like uh, villain stooge type stuff. You know, it's basically the venture, like half of the venture brothers is that kind of thing. Yeah. It's uh, it's good to me. It it is funny. It's good. I was getting like images of my brain in my brain of like uh, you know, these Gotham thugs dressing up as like Tanuki Mario. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like spinning around, you know, with their <laughs> tails. Uh, so yeah, it it was cute. It was fun. I don't I don't have a ton to say about it, but you know, if you are a little tired of the kind of very grim and gritty and, and more serious Batman spinoff books that we usually get, this is kind of the antithesis of that and not, not the kind of thing I'd really 
I mean, I know DC is going to do this kind of thing every once in a while, but it's like one in every 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if that sounds like something, and this is really, you know, it's been a while since I feel like DC has done a lot of really good all ages content and that this also falls in that. Oh yeah. Good call. Yeah. You know, I guess, um, I know a lot of that falls in the graphic novels now, which are maybe not so much in our, uh, in like our perspective or, you know, in our periphery, we're not coming up on that stuff very much, but um, this feels kind of in line with like, um, not, not necessarily to like the same caliber, but like the Superman smashes the clan, you know, like visually and, and tonally it's kind of, kind of there mm-hmm. um so I, I would recommend it on those grounds as well yeah good call um but next up uh we have uh, another book that's very fun on the visual side of things but a bit a bit uh deeper i guess on the plot uh, and that is superman space age number two written by Mark Russell, illustrated by Mike Allred, colors by Laura Allred. Um, so I wasn't here when I think you guys talked about the first issue, um, mm. but I did send in my comments of how much I liked it. And uh, I think I like this issue better, even. Even better, yeah. even. Uh, it... um. It adds some pretty interesting wrinkles to, you know, this, um, what we now know or can suspect, I guess, is like, it. well, I guess it is like confirmed in the story that this is, you know, clearly like an alternate Earth. And you, you have to wonder if it is one of the Earths that are going to be in the post-Dark Crisis multiverse. Oh, yeah. The, it's, it is. It's one of the, I think everything is an infinite Earth now. Yeah, uh, which is fun. Um, yeah why the hell not why not and what if this is like you know this is a uh is this a black this is not a black label book we do this every time yeah i think brian and i had the same discussion about this yeah i don't think it is but it 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 also reads as pretty huh it follows the exact template for a black label book 100 percent in that it's it's way oversized. It does the book one, book two, book three. It, it, everything about it looks like a black label title, except nowhere does it say black label. So right, exactly, exactly. Um, but it still reads as pretty out of continuity. But knowing what we know, this this could almost be like the stealth post Dark Crisis, like. Uh, <laughs> You know, this could be this could be the teasing the shape of things to come in in ways even, which is very fun to think about. But even though Superman is on the, you know, he's in the he's a title character. This book is almost almost as just as much about Batman and to a lesser degree the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman gets a lot of attention here in this issue, and it's a I think a pretty interesting take on Batman. Um, what what do you think about what Russell does here with with Bruce? Yeah, definitely. It's 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 very interesting. It's 
it's weird because none of it is so far away from, you know, he's not taking, uh, he's not taking these characters and doing anything so radically different from them that this becomes like an else worlds that, you know, this isn't like the nail, like what if the Kents never uh, found Superman or whatever, Mm -hmm. like all the elements of these characters are very much here. They're just meeting one another at different times or in different contexts. It's given a very specific historical setting in both of these issues so far that like, you know, the, the traits of these characters or their personalities are adapted to these very specific times in American history. And um, in, in that way, it couldn't possibly be a mainline DCU story. But these characters, certainly, and their perspectives on the world or whatever, would fit in, you know, any story about these characters, basically. Mm-hmm. Um I think like specifically some of the stuff that Bruce actually does with that in this story is a lot more interesting than what, what we typically see from Bruce. We all, we, we actually get a decent amount of, you know, him uh, being CEO of his company, giving that up, giving it over to Maxwell Lord of all people. And then that, that forms an entire arc that ends by the end of this issue. Mm hmm. And it's really there. There's there's some like arson going on, and you find out that uh, in the end it was perpetrated by Wayne Enterprises under Lord, and you see how like Bruce solves that problem and reinstalls himself all by the end of this issue. And it's an entire arc that that Batman and Bruce goes through. Like you said, this is a comic with Superman and his name in the title, but you get an entire Bruce Wayne story. Within and it does. I don't think it really shortchanges like Clark or or Superman at all either. You know, like no. And actually, it, you know, it actually I think it complements pretty well because a big part of this issue uh, leans on the trolley problem and how Clark and Bruce view that little you know uh, ethical dilemma. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not exactly satisfied with the answers that Russell puts in the characters' mouths. I think that, well, number one, I don't think there's ever like a super satisfying answer to the trolley problem. Right. That's kind of the, that's kind of the point. Kind of the point. But I, I especially think like uh, I found Clark's to be maybe like frustratingly um it didn't it was a particular flavor of superman that i almost thought was like a little too irresponsible and possibly naive but i really like how russell juxtaposes that with basically making the Superman just extremely naive so much so that, you know, this, uh, this issue is set in the seventies, the Watergate scandal is a big part of this. And, and Clark just can't imagine that elected officials would behave in such a way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I feel like that's an arc for him too. That like by the end of this, it's gonna pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I know what you mean, and yet I I find that like a perfectly. You're right that it's frustrating, but I find that like a perfectly uh, sensible interpretation of the character. Right. You know? Yeah, I I agree, and and I just I really love what Russell is doing with kind of creating this new mythology of Crisis on Infinite Earths, while we are also getting all the Dark Crisis stuff. It um, I can't exactly put my finger on why I like it so much, but I just I do, and and the bringing in the Brainiac um, component of it in this issue makes it even more compelling to me. Um, And the way that Brainiac is used. So we get a really interesting little interlude. Well, I guess so Brainiac is teased throughout this issue. Hal comes and, and set, you know, kind of brings a a briefing to the justice league that uh, the green lanterns have this villain that they can't, that they've never been able to beat. And, and it's Brainiac. Um, and so he's kind of warning them that he, he may be coming eventually. And, and then we also get this little interlude to another earth, um, <laughs> where you have a Superman earth. who has the black S rather than earth, the, the earth yellow one. Three, two, six, five, four slash Z. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we find that on this earth, uh, Brainiac has already stripped everything, leaving only, that universe is uh, Superman behind, but he he extends an invitation to uh, to help fight against the Anti Monitor, and and we find that this Brainiac this Brainiac is basically playing the role that the Monitor played in Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. um, doing you know a gathering of of heroes and resources. Only in this case, it's almost more like. Uh, final crisis where you get the like Superman of the multiverse at the end. It, yeah. it seems to oh, be what, what he is he is going for. Um and, and it just all it all looks so good. All Red's interpretation of all these characters is especially I think Brainiac as well is one of the reasons I find it so compelling is just the visual language and the and the style that that all red is is employing which is you know it's not any different really than than the all red we're used to but just something about the way that it's applied i think is it's just like all red at the the height of his power still i think yeah oh he's so good yeah god these these costume designs first of all <laughs> but even just just the way he stages the scene like the 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 scene where uh bruce is uh busting in on those guys that are setting fire to um that that building uh-huh um, mm-hmm. and then and then like all that stuff looks so good um the the colors from Laura Alred look really awesome in that scene um and just the yeah the way that he stages it is just so dramatic in that classic Alred way and then <laughs> I'm looking at the I'm looking at the party uh, that Bruce is having at Wayne Manor, and he's wearing that outrageous yellow suit, and uh, and then Alfred has to get into it. Mm-hmm. 
and and when he changes into Batman and then puts a bag over Alfred's head, all of that stuff is just so fun. And it's so it's rendered so visually interesting. Um, Man, what, what a world they've got going here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really compelling. And, and, you know, I, this kind of thing, I think, I think we have kind of like a spouse that, well, I think we often are like I myself am contradicting myself all the time and how I talk about how, you know, I've been more interested in like the black label stuff and the out of continuity stuff. That's just like an interesting, good story. But then I will out the other side of my mouth, I'll say that I'm like only interested in the stories that matter and kind of like the overarching narrative. And I do just think it's generally kind of potentially exciting whatever dc is going to be coming out of dark crisis that it could maybe be both you know that we could have these fun side stories like this and dc mech and and whatever you know whatever else but then also like uh those things can also be part of whatever the overarching narrative is it's just uh potentially like a best of both worlds even though i i'm not i'm trying not to get too excited about it you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so i don't know we'll just have to see but i am really interested so i assume the next issue will be set in the 80s and we'll get full-on crisis i would think so yeah um but i i do expect russell and all red to subvert kind of all our expectations in in a way that i you know, I, I'm just waiting to see how big they go. Um, oh, and speaking of subverting expectations, I did want to mention how m- I liked how much in this issue, um, this kind of leaned on the uh, like Christopher Reeve, Superman, Clark and Lois relationship, particularly oh, like yeah. the Lois interviews. But it, it never, even though it was like relying on kind of that like pop culture touchstone, it never leaned that heavily on them. Like the conversations always felt extremely fresh and different using the kind of the same set dressing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, um, absolutely. And, um, and that, that Clark and Lois stuff is an entire arc into itself as well. Like, right. And it ends in a really satisfying way. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agreed. Oh, yeah. It's it's just really good. I think you know, I have felt, and I think part of this comes down to just kind of how I consume comics now. It, it's been a really long time since I've read anything that like truly felt evergreen in the way that a lot of the comics that I read when getting into comics felt. You know, like the the all-star supermans or the superman for all seasons or you know those those kinds of stories yeah but this this completely evokes that same feeling for me i think absolutely yeah it feels on that level i think brian and i said new frontier the the yeah we read the first issue yeah new front exactly yeah and and i just kind of feel like it has to me, and again, this is, I think a lot of this is my bias. I often wondered like how someone who is in the position that I was like 10, 15 years ago coming in, like views the, I guess, kind of like 
quote unquote evergreen line of, of things that DC's putting out, you know, mostly the black label stuff and, and some things, but just having something that even like kind of remotely scratches that sort of itch to me is, is a, a real treat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was actually looking for some DC comics recommendations for a project that I'm just doing for myself uh, earlier today. And I was reading uh, Superman, like, like best Superman run recommendations and a book that I saw recommended several times by people online was Superman smashes the clan, Uh which, which of course, like that book was amazing. Um, But what struck me was you're seeing like a title like Superman smashes the clan mentioned alongside like birthright and uh, secret identity, you know, like yeah. Superman it, up in the sky. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but it's exactly the thing that you're talking about. It's like, it, you know, we don't think of these that way all the time necessarily because um, they're contemporary and, and we're not in the same headspace that we were when we were younger and seeking out, all this stuff that we hadn't read yet. And, uh, but when you look at it from that perspective, it's, it's kind of heartwarming to see some really contemporary stuff get recommended. You know, mm-hmm. it, it reminds, it reminds you that like, we may take it for granted cause we read all these books and, and do a show about it. But like, some of this stuff really is standing out as special to, and other people are noticing it, you know, it's, it's not just, hopefully it's not falling on deaf ears, you know, mm-hmm. how good some of these stories are. And this is right up there with any of them. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, this is something I might have to pick up and trade, I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, just one of yep. those, uh, and I, um, I am very much more of the mind these days where it's like, I typically am not buying like ongoing series in, in trade per se, but like a nice complete story in one volume like this is something I think that like is very deserving to go on someone's bookshelf. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I will be really interested to see how this wraps up. I wonder if, uh, so, so um this issue sees Hal Jordan die. Um, And I really wonder if next issue is going to introduce Guy or John. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Good call. Which I almost think you maybe have, as uh, time moves on, I wonder if we'll see more of that era's heroes anyway. Like some of the like late seventies, early eighties characters coming in and playing a role. Sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Adam. Yeah. 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 I wonder that too. Um, The, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the green lantern stuff, because in truth, around the time of crisis, there, there were, there were lantern, there was a lantern title, like the lanterns were around and Hal wasn't dead or anything, but they really didn't have much of a role, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, as I recall, um, 
but yeah, that certainly doesn't mean that they won't have a role here. So yeah, as I recall, didn't didn't Guy come back to play kind of a prominent role during the course of Crisis? Not, I don't um, think like in Crisis proper, but I think in like the Green Lantern books of the time, and like I the ones he... that were tying into Crisis, I f- I feel like Guy was doing things. I think you might be right in the tie-ins. That was like him coming back as a lead into the Justice League International stuff that would happen right down the road. Kooky, kooky stuff. I wonder if uh, we'll get like a. I, I wonder how much not only um, Russell is going to lead into crisis, lean into crisis, but also lean into whatever happened in the Man of Tomorrow, which. Um, the opening issue also, I thought, evoked some vibes of. Mm. Um, so I, I'm interested to see how much he might lean on that as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about that. The final issue. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Which if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was also a Brainiac story. It's been a while since I've read it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. When we do our Alan Moore episode, we'll, yes, our Alan Moore series, we'll dig into that. That's Um, right. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, then the last book that we're going to talk about, we need to take a break. Oh yeah, I guess we do. Uh, Good call. Okay, yeah, we're going to take a break, and then we'll be back to talk about our last book of the week. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. All right, that was the break. I'm sure you heard a, a delightful ad for one of our other podcasts at multiversitycomics.com. Um, the last issue that we're going to talk about this week, because Vince did not want to talk about Sergeant Rock versus the Army of the Dead, is Tim Drake Robin number one, uh, written by Megan Fitzpatrick and illustrated by Riley Rosmo. Uh, with colors by, is it Lowridge? Is it is oh. that Lee Lowridge? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yes. Um, so this is picking up from the uh, both the DC Urban Legends uh, run that Fitzpatrick did, and then also the story in the Pride special. And um, I think all of us, I think of all of us, Vince, you have been the highest on Fitzpatrick's Robin or specifically Tim Drake stuff. Is that fair? I Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
I think I have actually not read any of it. If I'm, I actually don't know if I have read a single bit prior to this. I know Brian has read it and he doesn't like it. So that makes him more problematic than me. Uh, just kidding. Um, none of us are problematic. We're always right. We always have very good opinions. Um, but this, this sets up the new status quo for Tim. Um, and this is also just like an interesting little bit of set dressing. This, aside from you know coming after those things, this also does reference the uh, Young Justice Dark Crisis tie-in. Which yeah, uh, so this this is post that. So this is this is situated squarely in like the dark post Dark Crisis uh, universe, or I guess timeline. Um, which really doesn't factor in much to the issue at hand, but I, I think it is like a, a, a nice little interesting little, you know, nugget to, to think about. Um, but, but Vince, as the, I guess, uh, big Tim Drake liker these days, how do you feel about this issue? <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of say the same sort of thing that I said about the Batman audio adventure, which is that, I think everything about this issue was just fine. I think that the Riley Rosmo art was um, definitely welcome. Rosmo is always welcome in my world. Um, the the status quo for for Tim Drake is something that I I like. Uh, I think it's I've said this before, but I think it's a good way to distinguish uh, Tim as a Robin. Um, to give him a reason for existing in uh, in a, at a company that doesn't seem to want to really didn't want to use him otherwise, <laughs> you know. Um, and I and I I really think the status quo is fitting, and I think Fitz Martin does a good job of getting that stuff across uh, in in a fun and interesting way. So I think the status quo is good, and I like this like Marina Village that uh that he's living in i like the colorful cast of characters that's built around him here well enough i there was nothing wrong with this other than the actual plot of the issue i found myself not caring about it reminded me a lot of um so the deal here is that that uh these little like vinyl discs shoot out these projections of like animals or beasts or monsters that take physical form and, and wreak havoc on, on this town. And Tim has to figure out how to beat them, which is by destroying these little discs, which renders them uh, vulnerable. Yeah. Vulnerable. And then he has to defeat them according to a theme to whatever story they, they, they play upon um, plots from mystery books of the past. And he has to figure out how to beat them based on like how that mystery went. I guess that's kind of fun, but in practice, it reminds me a lot of like uh, <laughs> golden age or silver age stories where all this uh, ridiculous stuff happened. And then at the end, somebody just says, well, that was all a light construct. Um, so it, it, it didn't really 
it didn't really exist. <laughs> and then like all the stuff that you just saw that light construct do affecting reality, affecting, you know, uh, couldn't have possibly just been hard light. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's like, it's like ending a plot by saying like, ah, well, the character was actually replaced by a robot. So that's why they were acting like that. It's just a very big cop out, I think. Um, and it's the kind of storytelling that it's one of the few like storytelling choices that actually bugs me. And it's why I have trouble reading like golden age uh, comic book stories or even some silver age ones. There was a, I just read an issue of fantastic four where they took on a villain I think it's like the third or fourth issue of the Lee and Kirby run. And they take on a, a villain called Miracle Man. But he's just some like shitty wizard who can like claims that he can do anything with his powers. He can make anything happen in reality. And at the end of the story, there's all this ins- like he creates this um, kaiju beast, basically, that like levels half of the city. And then at the end of the story, like. He says something like, uh, uh, well, or the, the, the key to his powers is that he's a hypnotist who just made it look like all that stuff was happening. But like, did he hypnotize everybody in the entire city because everybody saw this happen? It was on the news like it like people were watching the news and it was caught on camera. This is all a very like lengthy way to say that in the end, it was a total cop out ending that doesn't make any sense. And this this plot is very much along those same lines where, um, you know, whatever we see these apparitions doing, it it couldn't possibly be that they're just hard light constructs or whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah. And to you know, get like, you know, even like even more pedanty, like pedantic, it I think one of the clues that helps Tim figure out that it is a uh an orangutan is the there are gray hairs that he analyzes and they they come up as orangutan but it's a hard light construct (laughs) yeah uh or something i don't know you know like it's yeah so it's fine it's whatever i i actually i'm I'm being i'm being very nitpicky no no and it's fine i i think that that it's like totally fine um I actually really liked this a lot. I think the art does a lot of the heavy lifting for me, but I I just really like I really like Tim here. I, I like I, I think this is the most unique and distinctive Tim has felt to me in a really, really long time. Like even more so than like the Tynion Detective Comics run. Um and I really like pairing him with um, what's her name? Sparrow. I forget her real name. Yes. Um, yeah, that was one of the We Are Robin. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Darcy. Darcy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I really like pairing Tim with Darcy. Um, I, I think it's a... I just think it's fun um, to have him paired with someone who is not a like main bat family character but is one who has ties to that mythology and um like you i really like the setting of the marina it works a lot better than for me than say like what's going on in bat girls right now with kind of their 
solo living arrangement you know kind of there there it seems like every once in a while like the bat characters just have to like go find themselves in a weird place you know for dick it was bloodhaven the bat girls are doing that right now um i feel like there was another case of that pretty recently as well um but but this feels like this is a very visually unique space i like the characters that Fitzmartin, you know, introduces some of the like supporting or like potential supporting characters. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think, and and I actually thought the the kind of like tying it into like the mystery of old detective novels is kind of charming. It is very like kind of silly in a golden age way, but I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I as far as like creating a a, a plot. Uh, you know the driving force of the plot i i liked it quite a bit yeah i think yeah 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 aside from how kind of i mean it's weird because i sometimes i don't care if comics are extremely silly and other times it bugs me for whatever reason and i think it i don't know if it's just down to the individual execution of it Mm -hmm. for whatever reason this time I wasn't in the mood for a, for a resolution to this plot that was kind of dumb. Sure. Um, that said, everything else you, you said, everything else about this, I, I really like, I think, I mean, I'll probably keep reading it. I, I'll probably keep, ch- but at the very least, I'm going to check in on it once in a while because I do like the status quo for Tim and, um, and I, and I want to see it do well. Uh, and I know, is this, is this a mini series or is this an ongoing? I know that distinction doesn't really matter these days. Sure. Um, um, it doesn't, it doesn't say a, like one of six. Yeah. On the cover, it doesn't have like a one of something, which I know Black Adam does now or, you know, mm-hmm. does. So I assume this is an ongoing. Yeah. Um, for whatever that means these days, I, I I'll, I'll keep checking in with it. I, I liked it well enough. I, I think. It's not like blowing me away, but I, but I, like I said already, I think it's does right by Tim and I think Fitzmartin, I, I've, I've liked her stuff all along and I think she's getting better too. Like, I think this is out of all the stuff she's written with Tim so far, I think this is probably the most well-rounded, um, has the best voice for him. And like, like I think she's really settling in even more than she already was. So, so yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll keep checking it out. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, I guess that is all we have for this week. Uh, do you, you know what we're talking about or what books are coming out next week? I do know. I, yeah. I'm always prepared for you, Zach. When you, when you, Thank ask. you. that's so thoughtful. Yeah. It's um, Batman 128, Batman Night Watch number two, um, Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths five, Dark Crisis the Deadly Green number one, Gotham City Year One number one, Monkey Prince seven, Multiversity Teen Justice five, Poison Ivy five, Sword of Azrael three, Task Force Z twelve, and <laughs> The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing number one. We're definitely talking about that, right? Uh, 
we'll talk about that. We'll off talk, we will. We will. Um, what if it, you know, the Joker, the man who stopped laughing, you know, what's not a laughing matter. What they did to the people's Joker. Oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I don't even really know that what that story is about. <laughs> yeah. If, if, yeah. That's why Brian isn't here tonight. Actually, he's becoming the people's Joker. <laughs> That's as good a way to end this as anything. <laughs> uh, well, you can find Brian on Twitter and ask him about the People's Joker at Brian Needs an App. I'm at the Woke of Z. Vince, uh, I don't know. He's just watching football. He doesn't need social media. Don't bother him. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When I'm watching football, I'm definitely as far away as I can be from social media. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> and anybody who knows me knows that. <laughs> I don't turn into some grubby little monster yeah. on my phone. For, if you just if you just like topic search Aaron Rodgers, you're definitely not going to find Vince <laughs> tweeting about him at all. There's no way. <laughs> oh Christ! Um, all right, well that's it. Uh, thank you all for listening uh, to <laughs> this uh, absolute mess of a show without Brian. We're always. Uh, we're, we're never as good without Brian. He's the rudderless ship. He he's the the dad of the podcast, and without him, you just got us uh, mucking about, just uh, just trying to be like dad, you know. I know, just we're, playing we're, at podcasting. Really, we're like we're like Elizabeth Swan and Will Turner without a Captain Jack Sparrow. Exactly, because that is exactly how I always think of Brian. <laughs> a little drunk uh, but you have heard of him <laughs> I have heard of him <laughs> he soars dad good night <laughs> All right, I guess I should turn down my audio and my headphones since Brian's not here to tell me to do it.